Good morning. Good morning to all of you here in the room, all of you online. Great to see you this morning. Glad you're here. Um, We have a lot to go through today, so would you please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. And if you have a physical Bible um, or some cool app, you want to maybe keep your finger in Ephesians 4 as well. Just want to prep you for that. Um, If you don't have a Bible today, there's some fine people walking around right now who can hand you one. Just raise your hand. They will hand you a Bible. And if you do not own a Bible, just keep it. It's yours. That's our gift to you. Um, Man, praise God for this last week, VBS, all those kids. I just want to remind you uh, that this room was filled with kids and this building was filled with kids all week hearing the gospel, hearing the good news of Christ. So if you think of it throughout the week, pray for those kids and pray for those families, those households that they're going back into. Pray that God's spirit would move in them and do something beyond our imagination. Amen? Pray for them. Um, I also want to acknowledge uh, <clears throat> this last Sunday, we, um, we lost a member of our family, uh, Irene Thiel, and you may have seen her. She would come here very often. Um, she's the, the mother of Randy Thiel and... Um, uh, I just, I remember just uh, seeing her. She'd often would sit right here. She'd often come during Teen Challenge because the one thing that Irene did is that she used every breath her, up to her last breath to, for God to use her. God to use, she was known at Teen Challenge as the cookie lady. And they would come and they'd see her and they'd cheer for this woman who was in her late 90s. And she's like, I can make cookies. So she made cookies for those in Teen Challenge. And so, um, praise God, she is with Jesus now and free with him. Um, but we miss her. And uh, Rainy, we love you. Um, we, we saw how you loved your mom. And it was incredible and an incredible example of a, a son caring for an elderly mother. Praise God for the feels. Okay, all right. All right, we have a lot to go through, and um, I'm, I've got a, a mixture of emotions. I'm, I'm pumped up. I'm excited. I feel the weightiness of this message. Um, this is about power, and whenever like, you feel the power of God, you kind of tremble, and I feel that tremble. I feel the tremble. <clears throat> but Pastor Paul started us out in a series this past few weeks on Acts, and the series is called Power. And Paul said from the very beginning, and it's been saying over and over again, that's Pastor Paul saying, we cannot carry out what God calls us to do, what God has called the church to do without the power of God. We need the power of God to live out the calling of the church. And then Paul showed us that in Acts chapter 1, that Jesus promised to send his spirit to do that very thing, to empower us to do what he called us to do. And then we learn that in Acts chapter 1, Jesus is calling us to be his witnesses, empowered by the Spirit, not concerned with the timing of God's future plans, but focused on the divine mandate to live out this calling as witnesses, empowered by the Spirit. And last week, we learned about the disciples' devotion to prayer, their dependence on God's provision, and their commitment to seeking his will together. And Paul encouraged us, if you remember, if you heard last week, encouraged you to listen to these last few sermons, uh, encouraged us to engage in regular, united prayer as a demonstration of our devotion, of our unity as a church, of our seeking of God. And in many ways, today's sermon is the continuation of that last point. 
that we need to seek God, that we need to wait for his provision and his power, just like the disciples did at the end of Acts chapter 1. This whole week, there's been an illustration in my mind that's, that I want to put into your mind, and I hope that it stays with you, especially as we're entering into summertime. But I, I love boats. I love going on boats. And I, there's two types of boats. There is a boat with an engine, a man-made engine that is fueled by gasoline, very expensive gasoline uh, that you can buy on the lake, and you can fill your boat with this gasoline. And the cool thing about this, these, these kinds of boats is that you can go whenever you want, wherever you want. You, don't, you really don't need to think about much. As long as your motor is running well and you have fuel, you can go whenever you want. But there's another kind of boat, a boat that I have never been on, but I have to imagine it's a whole different paradigm, and that's a sailboat where you have a sail. And this is different because you don't have a motor. Some people put motors on their sailboats. But a purist, <laughs> a purist would only have sails, and it's a different mindset, isn't it? Because you need to seek the wind. You need to prepare for the wind and then wait for the wind. You need to see the direction that the wind is blowing and then set your sails to be powered by the wind. It's a whole different type of boating. It's kind of incompatible with our Western way of living, isn't it? We like the motorboat. We like the ability to go where we want on our own power. And we can do some spectacular things with these boats, amazing things, powerful things with these boats. But there's something that the scriptures are calling to that's likened to a sailboat. So today we're going to talk about a very pivotal moment, and that's Acts chapter 2. And before we do that, by introduction, I have to do something first, because I want to show you the backdrop behind Acts chapter 2 before we show it. Because for me, this has been eye-opening. In Genesis chapter 2, we have the creation of the world. And it says that God breathed into the nostrils of humanity life. God breathed and there was life in humanity, given to humanity. The power of God's breath brought humanity to life. It was the ruach, say ruach. The ruach of God, that's the Hebrew word for breath. It's a word used over and over again to represent uh, breath, wind, spirit. The spirit of God. In Greek, the same kind of illustration is, is picked up there. The word is pneuma. It's like where we get the word pneumatic. It's the, the breath, the wind, the spirit of God. God breathed into the nostrils and there was life that was brought out of the first humans. And God set a course. God started his story. God started his story, his creation story on that day, and it began to unfold before us. Remember in Exodus, remember Exodus, remember the Pharaoh and the Israelites were under captivity. And then Moses came along and freed them. And then after that happened, something amazing occurred. God told the people of God who they were and how they were to represent him in the world. Exodus 19.4 says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings, and I brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession 
among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Peter, later on, thousands of years later, picks this up in 1 Peter 2.9. He says, but you, church, you are a chosen race. I wonder where he got this. A royal priesthood. Does this sound familiar? A holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim, that you may testify, that you may witness the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous, say it, church, his marvelous light. God is revealing here early on in the Old Testament that he wants a people. He wants a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, the Imago Dei, the image of God, to represent him on the earth. He started it right at day one through his breath. This is God's story. And after Moses gives this message to the people of God, he goes to Mount Sinai. And there he receives the tablets, he receives the Torah, he receives the law and gives the law to the people. And for us, in our Western mindset, the law can be just a set of rules. But, but at that time it was received as here is how you shall live. Here is how you shall be holy and set apart. Here is what I'm calling you to be. Here is how you can be the people of God called by me. Here is how you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. This is how you shall live. And then later in the Old Testament, something starts to happen and percolates among the prophets. In Ezekiel chapter 11, this new vision starts to come into place. And it says this, Ezekiel 11 says, I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and I will give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Similarly, Jeremiah 31, 33 says this, For this is my covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Listen to this part. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Joel chapter 2 says this, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirits on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. And even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. This is God's story. And the prophets were seeking this story, seeking these visions, and they were waiting for God's power to move and bring about this vision. And so, enter Jesus. You see, all throughout the Old Testament, there's this theme where the, the Israelites tried to live up to this calling that God gave them and failed. And then they'd, they would be recovered, and then they'd fail, and then they'd recover, and then they'd fail. But Jesus came and did something that they couldn't do. He was the first faithful Israelite, the first one to truly live out the calling that God placed on people. And if you read Luke, and the reason why I bring up Luke is because Luke is the first part of Luke's writing. Luke wrote the book of Luke, and he wrote Acts. Same author, all the way through. In fact, I encourage you to read Luke and Acts. And many scholars say that Luke is like the Acts of Jesus part one, and Acts is like the Acts of Jesus part two. That's how they kind of view it, that it's all about Jesus moving through and bringing his kingdom. But in Luke, in Luke from chapters four to 10, 
you see, if you study this, that Jesus starts to train his disciples on how to be a faithful Israelite and how to live out this calling that God has for us. He teaches them how to, how to heal the sick and the lame. He teaches them how to, how to, to cast out demons and to declare the kingdom of God. And throughout this whole experience, God, the Holy Spirit is empowering and moving through Jesus and begins to move through disciples. And then in Luke chapter 9, Jesus says, okay, you've seen me do this. Now you go do it. You go do it. He sends out the disciples, sends the 12, and it says the 72. You go into these towns and do what you've seen me do. And they come back and they, they talk about some of the challenges they've had. They talk about some of the successes. And you can see there's some pride in what Jesus saw because he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. I saw you do amazing things in my name. The power of God was moving through you. And then Jesus starts to change the topic a bit and says, all right, I'm about to leave. And he says in John 15, 5, but now I'm going to him who sent me. And no one's asking me, where are you going? Because I've said these things to you, and sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. The spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And then he continues in John 15, 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Listen to this verse. And all that the Father has is mine, and therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? He's saying, I want you to do what I've been doing you are going to receive the same power that I have to do all the things that I'm doing, and I want to do it through you. So then Jesus dies, he's resurrected, he lives among them for about 40 days, and then he ascends to heaven. Now, I have to imagine if I was with a teacher for three years and I watched him uh, beaten, tortured, put on a cross, dies, resurrected, lives among us for 40 days, and then ascends to heaven, I'd probably want to tell someone about this. The reason why I know this is that for the last week, I've been talking about a submarine with people that I don't know at the bottom of an ocean all week long. Like, this, there's, there's this event that's been happening in the world, and all we've been talking about is this, you know, they're down the Titanic, and, and they're down there, and then where are they? Are they you know, the, all week long, I've been watching this and tracking this story. And then yesterday, like this whole thing about Russia was going on. Like, is Russia, is Russia going to collapse? Is, it, is this a civil war? What's, what's happening? I was watching this and talking about it, texting friends, sharing things about this, what's going on. Now, this was just little stories of people I don't know. Imagine you're with your rabbi for three years. You watch him die, rise again, live among you, and ascend to heaven. You're going to want to say something. You're going to want to do something. You're probably going to, this validates everything, authenticates everything he has been teaching. Because the guy died and rose again. You're going to want to do something about this. Like, we're going to go. Jesus, we're going. We're going to get this message out. We're going to share it. We're going to tell everyone we know about you and about what you did. But Jesus says something I think very important for us to hear. 
In Acts chapter 1, verse 4 to 5, he says, And while Jesus was staying with them, he ordered them, Do not depart from Jerusalem, but wait. Wait for the promise of the Father. This is God's story. Wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. There is a timeline, a story playing out here, and it's God's story. And he's like, I know you're excited. I know you're pumped up. Wait, wait. And then in Acts chapter 1, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. But until then, wait. Why? Well, like I said, this is God's vision. This is God's story playing out among them. And he said, John 14, 12, you're going to do greater things, but wait. Because you're going to do this according to my timing according to my purposes, according to my story, my timeline. You will do this empowered by the Spirit, not by your own power. And so the disciples waited. They listened to their master. They followed the orders, but they devoted themselves to prayer, it says. And they waited. And then Acts chapter 2. So now you can open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. And with that background in mind, with that story, this grand story, thousands and thousands of years, starting off with creation, start going through the prophets, up to this, through Jesus, up to this point, now Acts chapter 2 happens. Do you see the power of God's story playing out up to this moment? And it says this, I'm just going to read it to you, Acts 2, 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing, and what does your text say? A wind. A wind, the breath of God, the ruach of God, the pneuma of God, the spirit of God, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire, and, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. God is breathing new life and power into this new creation. Verse 5, And now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, apparently this sound was so big, so loud, that it caught the public's attention, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in this, his own language. Some signs and wonders going on here. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are you not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, or Judea, Judea Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Rosemont, Apple Valley, Egan, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, Burnsville, not Burnsville, and the parts, <laughs> I'm just kidding, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both, both Jews and proselytes, uh, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? And others said, and I love this, they're drinking new wine. <laughs> 
I love that this is pivotal moment and then Luke drops this in here, right? They're drunk. And then if you look ahead a few uh, verses, it says Peter's like, we're not drunk, it's only nine in the morning. Oh goodness. This is a pivotal moment in the story of God. Pentecost is considered the birthday of the church. It's the start of the church's mission to spread the gospel to all nations empowered by the Spirit. By the way, Pentecost, this word Pentecost, uh, many of us must think that, many of us can kind of come away with this perspective that Pentecost was invented at Acts 2. But that's not the case. Acts, Pentecost refers to an ancient festival referred to as the Festival of Weeks or Shavat. It's two things. It marks the conclusion of the grain harvest. But the second thing I want to focus on is this. Pentecost, I love this, Pentecost commemorates the giving of the law, Torah, to Moses on Mount Sinai. Pentecost traditionally happened 50 days after the Passover, 50 days after the Exodus, and it started the Mosaic Covenant. Torah was given to the people of God, and it revealed the way of life by which they would carry out God's purposes. Do you see the parallels here? Do you see what Jesus, what God is doing by linking these events? Because when the Israelites arrived at Mount Sinai, Moses went up the mountain. He ascended. Moses ascended. And then he came down with the law. Here, Jesus has ascended. Luke wants us to see this. But now he's coming down again, not with a written law carved on tablets of stone, but with the dynamic energy of the law designed to be written on our hearts. Do you see the intentionality, the attention to detail that God has? Is this not God's story? And the disciples were seeking him in this, praying, devoting themselves to prayer, waiting for power, waiting for God's story to unfold. Let's talk about the gifts. The gifts of the Spirit. We don't have time to go into all the detail of it. I just want to give a couple of thoughts on it. We have lots of weeks ahead where we're going to talk about the power of the Spirit. We're going to see how the, Spirit, the gifts of God play themselves out through um, the next few chapters of Acts. I'm excited about this. But just a couple thoughts on this for today. Like Paul said earlier and has been saying over and over again, that God is calling us, the church, to a, a calling that is impossible for us to do unless we're empowered by the Spirit of God. Our mission is impossible without the power of God. And so he gives gifts, gifts of power. Now, two points about the gifts I want to focus on today. Number one, the gifts started with the promise. And number two, these gifts were won at the cross, paid in full by the blood of the Lamb. First, the promise. Let's start there. I want to point to a verse that we typically don't point to. We talk about gifts, but it's this. It's Matthew 16, 18. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it to you. Matthew 16, 18, it says this. And you probably know this verse. If you've been around the church for a long time, it says this. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my, what? I will build my church. And the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will not overcome it. 
This is a declaration about the church. Now, we often get this backwards. I know I did for a long time. I got this backwards that, in my mind, the picture was one of the church was on the defense. That the gates of hell will not overcome us. So we're, you know, God's building this church, and the gates of hell won't overcome us. It's almost like, for, I never really articulated, but I had this sense in my mind that, like, like the enemy was going to attack with its gates. You don't attack with your gates. Like, I don't even know how that would look. Like, with our gates, you know? You don't attack with your gates. You defend with your gates. The, the vision here is the church on the offensive. The vision here is a, a prison with gates, with people inside in bondage, and the church storming the gates of hell, breaking wide open the gates of hell, and freeing the captives. That's the vision Jesus is giving here at the church. And he says, I will build my church. I will equip my church. I will empower my church. And the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will not overcome it. That's the vision. That's the promise that Jesus gives of the church. And so that is what he's calling us to, Chapel Hill. He's calling us to be a church that is willing to storm the gates of hell, which really, I think, means to storm and go into the dark the deepest and dark places. To be willing to go with the power of the Spirit into the darkest places. And before you start to think about, oh my gosh, the ends of the earth, missions and, and deep dark places in the world, let's start here. Maybe this first starts with me. The deep and dark places in me, the places where I'm in bondage. Perhaps where this starts is that by the power of God, that God wants to break through the, place, the places where I'm in bondage and set me free. Perhaps among us in community as a church that we would gather and gather and we'd work and we would seek God and wait for him to come and break the bonds that are around the brothers and sisters here in this room. Our own internal deep darkness, our own internal bondage. A couple weeks ago, I had the privilege of going on a... Um, uh, a silent retreat, and it was a group of about, eight, about 10 guys, and it was a time where we could just seek God and, and do some work, and, uh, and then at night, we would gather around a fire, and you'd see these men, self-included, open up and share the most deepest, darkest, the things that were going on inside, and then you'd see these men intercede for each other, pray for each other, ask that bonds would break, the chains would be loosened, that the, that the gates of hell would be broken wide open and that prisoner would be set free. There was, it was an intentionality of going around the fire and everyone sharing, opening themselves up and sharing what's going on, where they are bound. And this is the vision of the church, that we, as the people of God, would together be trusted, trusted listeners and intercessors, hearing the darkness that's going on in our life and praying for each other so that we would be released of our bondage. And maybe, maybe once it's, you know, it, it includes our internal, ourselves, but also maybe it includes our marriage or a significant other in our life or our family. Where, where do we find there's bondage? Where do we find dark places? And how do we let light in? How do we let the church break open the chains, the door, the gates of hell, and let light into that darkness? And where, where is God moving among us, among the church? Yes, there's darkness within the church. 
This place, this, the church is like a hospital, and they say hospitals are, have, are, have some of the most profound bacteria in them. Well, the church has lots of darkness in it as well. We are a broken people. But God is building his church, equipping his church to go into the darkest places and free the captives like we just sang about. Hmm. This is the vision of the church on the offensive, going after the dark places, the broken places, seeking God, knowing that he's playing out his story and waiting for the power of God. In Ephesians chapter four, there's another promise here I want to talk, point out here for everyone. everyone. Ephesians four, um, verse, verse eight, it says this, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. But to each of us, grace, which is charis, like charismatic, these, there was a gift, there was gifts given to us according to the measure of Christ's gift. What is Christ's gift? Christ's gift is it's everything that, that Christ brings, that he brought in his ministry. After his ministry, after his death and resurrection, there was salvation, there was sanctification, there was wisdom, there was justification, and there was the gifting, the charos, the grace, the gifting of the Holy Spirit. To do what? Now focus in here on verse 12. To do what? Why the gifts? Why the Spirit? To equip the saints. Verse 12, this is Ephesians 4, verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body, the body that he envisioned since Genesis, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That is a mouthful. There's a lot in that verse. But basically it's saying this. God wants us to stop playing church. And he wants us to seek maturity. And it's a move into maturity. How do we do this? Well, we do this through the gifts. And how mature is God, is God calling us? Well, he's calling us to, the, to mature to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That is the standard the Holy Spirit wants us to grow and to mature to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He's giving us the power to mature as Christians in a unified body, unified in faith, unified in knowledge, matured according to that standard. Catch the vision. God wants to take ordinary people and take the power of God and build us up into one body to be his representation in the world, mature, unified, empowered by the Spirit, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession. And the only way we can get there is through the empowerment of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. God is saying, Chapel Hill, seek that. Seek the gifts. Seek the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Seek this standard I set before you. Seek the maturity of Christ. The gifts began with a promise. The second thing, the gifts were won at the cross by the blood of the lamb paid in full. Ephesians 4, 8 says this, but to each one of us grace, uh, each, uh, sorry, verse seven, but each, each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, 
And this is, this is a bit weird. It's a bit mysterious. I almost took this out because I didn't want to confuse, but I just want to put it in here because I think it's important. It says, therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive the captives and he gave gifts to the people. Paul here is quoting Psalm 68. Get the picture. Let me share the picture with you here. Imagine an ancient king going to battle. And he goes into battle and he wins the battle. And often what they would do is they would take the captives, they would take the soldiers and they would remove the armor and remove the weapons and they would parade them through town, oftentimes dressing them up in goofy costumes to humiliate them and to say, we are no longer afraid of you, you are disarmed. And then they would take the gifts. And what are the gifts? The gifts are the spoils of war. They would take all the things that they had gathered in the war and they would distribute it among the people. And so when Jesus dies on the cross, he didn't just die for our sins, but he, it says he, he descended. He took on the full weight of our sin and he went to hell. He descended to hell. And can you imagine if you were, this, if you were Satan and demons in hell and you saw God show up? Can you imagine the reaction? He showed up there and he busted open the gates of hell. And then it says he ascended to heaven. And in that, I'm going to read you Paul, and says, says in Colossians 2.15, when he did that, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. This is Jesus taking the power away from the enemy and displaying them in front of us and saying they have no more power. And then taking the gifts, the spoils of war, and distributing that out to the people. I don't pretend to understand this. But what it tells me is that there was more going on at the cross than only dying for my sins. There was a, there was a spiritual battle at place, and Jesus was doing something profound in the heavenly realms. It says he led the captive, he led captive the captives, and he gave gifts to the people. And the principalities and the powers are now disarmed. And so where the enemy would lie, we now have the gifts and the power to tell the truth. And where the enemy would steal and kill and destroy, we have the power to restore and to resurrect and to redeem. And where the enemy had the power to blind and to oppress and to hold captive. We have the power to restore sight and set those captives free. And so Chapel Hill, it's time for us to seek the spoils of war, to seek the gifts that God, for, that God won for us at the cross, paid the price. Remember, Paul says in Ephesians 6.12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. I love the way some, uh, I heard a pastor say this, if it has flesh and blood, it's not your enemy. If it has flesh and blood, it's not your enemy. That should be the Christian mindset. No, no, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. It's against the rulers, against the powers, against the, force, the, the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. We cannot, as a church, fight this battle with clever services and talented speakers and amazing worship and lights and stage. Those are all good things, and God uses those things, but they're gravely insufficient. We need the Spirit of God, one at the cross, to live out this calling, the calling of the church.
to do the impossible. So this is a call. This is a call for us as Chapel Hill to seek and wait for the gifts of the Spirit. Paul says, I'm, I'm wrapping with this, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14.1, he says, earnestly desire the gifts, the spiritual gifts. Earnestly seek the spiritual gifts. And maybe for you today, there's a voice in your head that says, yeah, but this is, this is not for me. I mean, maybe there's a voice in your head that says, who do you think you are? This is for like the, this is for like the, 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 the superpower Christians. Like, spirit's, spirit's not gonna fall on you, man. On the contrary, that's a lie. God is calling a generation of ordinary people like you and like me to pick up the gifts, to devote ourselves to prayer. And some of you today, maybe you need to walk away from this, this morning and you need to do some work and start asking questions about what gifts God has for you. And what does this mean for the darkness in your life and where does God wanna break that open? And of course, we gotta hit every angle. We gotta, we gotta hit, you know, if we have problems in our life, we gotta hit the medical, therapists, all these sort of things. Maybe, maybe, there's, maybe there's meds involved. That's, yes, that's all good, yes. But we need to hit the spiritual because I've seen it where, where we've, you see people move forward in, in all the things, all the common grace, all the ways that, that the medical community and, and therapy can help us. But then what I've really seen is when the power of God moves, there's true freedom, like deep freedom. And maybe you've seen this. Like, it, it all helps, but when God moves, he really frees the captives. He really breaks open the gates of hell. What does this mean for our community group? Is your community group devoted to prayer? Could you say that today? And if the answer is no, then what are we to expect? We're just driving boats with our own gasoline, we need to set our sails. Your marriage, your family, that relationship, that friendship, that family member, <sighs> seek the gifts and then wait. John 3.8 says this, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it's coming from and where it's going. It's the, it's the sailboat lifestyle. We cannot control the wind. The wind blows where it wishes. Acts 2, the wind of heaven fell on the people of God according to God's timing, empowering his new creation. And God wants to do that in you and in me according to his timing, but we need to wait. This message is very strongly for me because I can count several times in my life where I saw a good direction and I ran ahead. I took my boat and I ran ahead, but I ran ahead of God. I ran, God said, whoa, 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 we were gonna, wait, Peter, we were gonna do this together. And I went under my own power and the results were what you'd expect from a human perspective. 
I needed to wait on God's timing. The wind and the fire are wild, untamable forces. And the experience of the wind rushing through the house with a great roar and the fire coming to rest on each person, that must have been terrifying and exhilarating, but it all happened within God's timing. This is God's story. And I'll have the worship team come now. This is God's story. This is God's spirit. We can't control it. We need to surrender to it. And so I, I feel in my heart, um, just that I, I want to call on you and give you an opportunity to respond to this message. And if you've been trying to seek after the things of God on your own power and you want to turn and seek God's power and wait for him, I just want you to come forward here and just kneel these stairs as a, as a, as a sign that God, I'm tired of doing this under my own power. It's now your power. I'm just gonna wait a minute for that to happen. And you don't have to come forward. It's not like there's anything magic about this. But for some of us, we need like a physical step forward into this. So just come now. And maybe you can do this in your own chair. But maybe you need to do this now. And God's saying, come. As a statement that I'm gonna seek now and I'm gonna wait for your power. Just come. Maybe you've been hearing the lie. This isn't for you. And you're gonna say, no. I'm rejecting that lie. Just come. And receive God's power. Come and make a statement that you are waiting for him. hungry for God's power to move in your life and you've been trying to do this under your own energy and you're saying enough enough I want Acts 2 I want the wind <laughs> I want the Ruach of God I want, I, want, I want Numa I want the wind of God to move in me and do only what the, what the wind can do Lord I'm tired of trying to do this under my own power. I need your power. Just come. Maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's your family or relationship and you wanna see the power of God move. Maybe you have a deep burden for your neighbors and, and someone at work and you're like, you wanna see a breakthrough. Maybe there's a, a family member that you're like, you've been trying, you've been reading all sorts of books, but right now you just know all you need right now is the power of God to do only what the power of God can do. Just come. As a church, let's take a moment and 
and minister to these brothers and sisters who've come here. And, and I know there's others of you sitting in the chair and you, you, have, you have come forward in a different way. You are coming forward internally. I wanna acknowledge that. But for the rest of us here in the seats, we use, we just stand now. Will you stand for them? And if, if you feel so bold, it's just as, as a, as it doesn't mean anything really necessarily. It's just a, a statement of support. Just extend your hands out to those here up in front. And for those of you who didn't come forward, but you have come forward, you, you have definitely come forward. You just didn't come physically forward. Know these hands are being extended to you as well. And let's pray for them. Father in heaven, we ask for your wind to pour down on these brothers and sisters. We ask for your Acts 2 power to pour out on them. We pray for your giftings to come. We earnestly seek them on behalf of our brothers and sisters here. Lord, you know why they came forward. Lord, you know why they're seeking you, Lord. And we pray on behalf of them, Lord, that you would pour out the power of your spirit upon them and to break the chains and break the bonds and give them strength. God, do what only you can do. Break open the gates of hell that's been imprisoning whatever it is, Lord. You promised to build your church and equip your church and equip your people. Lord, we pray you would do that equipping now in accordance to your timing. Lord, we pray that your gifts would, would, uh, would be shared, that we would, we would be so bold to, to pick up those spoils of war, pick up those gifts, seek them, Lord. Destroy the lies of the enemy that says they're not for us. Lord, they are for us, and you are offering them to us, Lord. Father, send your spirit. May your spirit fall in this place. And on every single one of us, those who came forward, those who didn't, those who are desperately seeking you, Lord, Holy Spirit, come. We're gonna sing one more song here about the goodness of God and I wanna remind you that this is true. God is so good and you can trust him. And he will give good gifts to his kids. Look at that, look at that verse that says that God will give good gifts. He says, he says he will give the Holy Spirit. That's what it says in Matthew. He will give the Holy Spirit and that's what our good father will do. He will give the Holy Spirit to you. But wait for it. It may come today, it might come in 10 years. <laughs> it might come in 20 years. In fact, you may not even see it in your lifetime, but God will come. It's according to his time and his purpose. This is his story, people. This is his story, my brothers and sisters. This is his story. And all God's people said, amen, amen.